Welcome to the Environmental Leadership Chronicles, a podcast brought to you by the California Association of Environmental Professionals. In this episode, we speak with Adam Rush, Community Development Director for the City of Banning. In his role, Adam's mission is to provide effective and efficient municipal services with a friendly and business forward attitude. Adam's approach to treating government services like one would treat customers in the private sector is critical to ensure a city succeeds in growing new and vibrant communities. He spent 10 years with the County of Riverside Planning Department, where he developed a strong background in community planning and environmental compliance, and gained experience in transportation and community planning activities, as well as long-range strategic plans. We hope you enjoy hearing from Adam and his approach to leadership. Hi, I'm Jessa. And I'm Laurel. And today's guest is Adam Rush from the city of Banning. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And let's start with how you're connected with AEP. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, Thank you. I've been a member of the board of directors for the Riverside chapter for a little over a year. Uh, Just kind of fell into it. I was a member on and off before and saw an open position and thought I'd throw my hand in the ring. And I don't think there was anybody else that uh, applied or was nominated for that position. So I I got it uh, as the at-large member for Riverside County. That was a few months before COVID. So needless to say, didn't have, really haven't had much experience in a a pre-COVID type of environment as a director. And we've been initially struggling with, you know, how to, get our our message out there and then how to do the things that the state chapter wants us to do in in a COVID environment. So we had our uh, first in-person meeting, uh, board meeting about a month and a half ago, which was uh, good, but a little bit weird. And we are now planning our uh, holiday get together. So I've uh, been part of the board for about that time, mostly focus on membership and outreach. I think the biggest accomplishment I did in that, that short period of time along with, with COVID was uh, for, produce a set of kind of talking points and brochures along with our, uh, our web designer in a sense for local schools in our region to try to just you know, educate and enhance and promote planning and environmental sciences in the local colleges. Um, I have a couple connections with UCR, as well as with the University of Redlands and Cal State San Bernardino. My sister works at one, my wife graduated from another. So kind of use those to wiggle my way into the department. Um, they're different throughout each agency or each, uh, each school, but that governed student internships. So we were fairly successful in that, uh, even in an environment where the, the students were not in class. And then as they've returned, we've definitely gotten more insight and uh, input from them. So that's mainly been my role as a member of AEP. Um, I've been a practicing CEQA planner and land use planner for almost 20 years now, uh, mostly in Riverside County. Right. And uh, thank you for sharing that. It's so oftentimes that we join AEP when there's a random open position. We're like, I'll give this a try. And then you, you hop in and like, everything changes and you, you learn by doing, and I just want to thank you for volunteering and joining the organization and being a part of all the local activities in um, the state board and um, focusing on membership. Cause 
that's a big deal. <laughs> so yeah, thank you again. And um, you mentioned those, those universities, which one did you go to and what did you study? So I actually graduated from Claremont McKenna college uh, with a, uh, I was a nerd. So I have a dual bachelor's in political science and a bachelor's in existential philosophy. So if you ever <laughs> want to think deep thoughts about being unemployed, um, I can have that conversation realized you can't really do much with a philosophy degree unless you're going to teach or become a lawyer. So I immediately went into grad school uh, to get my master's in political science. And I was going to move to Washington, D.C., become a lobbyist, run for office. You know, that was my goal since I was like seven. Um, But, you know, life doesn't get in the way, but life happens. And um, needed a job at a college and while I was in grad school and when wound up getting married and my wife actually found me my first planning job. Um, I was working the graveyard shift at Home Depot. I didn't even get weekends off. I, I got Monday night and Tuesday night off from 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. and I was going at a full load uh, graduate studies as well. And I came home one day and she said, I'm, I'm leaving or the job needs to go. So in the paper, when you actually used to open up the classified, there was a, a job with Riverside County Planning Department. I think it was sixteen fifteen an hour or something like that. And that was mid-2003. So it was a good chunk, good chunk of money at that time. Um, and benefits, health insurance. and So I worked all night, drove straight to my interview, changed there in the county building, had my interview, and was hired the same day. So kind of been you know, I, I fell into it, I guess. Um, went through my experience there, got my AICP and, and all of that. So, but my wife graduated from Cal State San Bernardino and my sister works for the uh, student life office at UCR. She does a whole bunch of different things there. So um, my wife still has some contacts over at Cal State San Bernardino and then I tasked my sister and she owed me a few favors to put me in contact with the folks at uh, UCR. And then uh, my wife actually has her credential and her graduate degree from a uh, university of Redlands plus former colleague of mine had three sons graduate there. So I just kind of used, you know, the, uh, the connections that I had and, and called in some past favors for, you know, volunteerism. I, I wasn't asking them for any handouts or money, but just to put me in contact with the right people. UCR was, was the most, uh, most responsive, maybe because my sister threatened them with something. I'm not sure, but just kidding. Um, she's pretty high up in the food chain there. And we put out a couple internship applications. We got a fairly decent amount of interest in that. Um, this was, I would say, August to September of 2020. So things were you know, still real hit and miss and <clears throat> didn't get you know, fully kind of on traction as much as we liked. But um, their office was was great to work with, and we still have a good uh, connection with uh, UCR and the students there, primarily environmental sciences, geography, you know, planning-related type fields, and got a few members out of it. So it was good. Wow. What a story. That is great. I love um, you know, stepping back just a little bit, their uh, story about interviewing and changing for the interview and um, the county building. And so when you, so when you went for that planning job, was that just, Oh, this is a job that's more reasonable schedule, reasonable hours, or was that 
at the time something you were like, oh, this is, I'm interested in planning? Or was it just like, oh, I'm just going to get a job? And then you found out that you loved planning. It, it was more of the latter. I mean, I didn't have a planning degree. I honestly didn't even know at the time you could get a planning degree. Uh, my dad was a landscaper for 40 years, so I could read a landscaping plan and I kind of maybe fibbed that a little bit of, oh, I can read plans, sure. You know, because he would hand draw blueprints for plants, you know, in our, in our family or our home office. And so I was like, oh, I can read plans. And I, you know, worked for the city of Corona <clears throat> in the parks department. So I, I kind of bolstered those two things up. Uh, I really had no idea what I was doing. And it was very much trial by fire because at that time, the development industry was ramping up. Things were getting really busy. Um, 2005, 2006, we were, and this is the county level. So I mean, the Riverside County is the size of New Jersey. But we were processing 15 to 18 track maps a month. Um, marathon plan commission, we'd start at 9 a.m. and end at 6 or 7 p.m. Uh, twice a month. So it was just crazy. And so the county hired in these blocks and they, they hired like a block of five because there was just so much attrition and people couldn't hack it or figure they could make twice as much money, you know, working for a developer or a home builder at the time. And so I was hired in like the second or third block of planners. And the person I took over for was basically getting fired or going through the process because she took uh, a limo ride and Lakers tickets from a developer and had a you know good night on the town. So at the county, if you're a union, they don't just walk up and fire you. They put you through a process. So she uh, self-terminated, as they say. But in a, I guess, last-ditch effort, she scheduled a whole bunch of projects for public hearing and didn't do any of the work. So my first couple of weeks were spent probably working 14, 15-hour days, writing conditions, writing staff reports, um, nothing that would pass the smell test now. I mean, thank goodness nothing got sued. Um, just cutting and pasting from previous documents. And I mean, I wasn't stupid. I knew how to write, but just putting all this, you know, planning ease together. Um, thankfully, everything was still kind of wild, wild west. And, and mm -hmm. in the county, there hadn't been significant development for about 10 years prior to that. So they were happy for whatever. <laughs> yeah. So got through that. And then you know, I, I went up the ladder fairly quickly. I think I was promoted to senior planner like 2005, 2006. And then in 07, I was promoted to principal planner. So from 07 to, to 2013, I basically managed from Corona to kind of where I am now in Banning, which is the Western side. And then we had a, a principal planner that, man, that managed the desert, Coachella Valley, Desert Hot Springs, and all the way out to, to Blythe. And I did that for the rest of my career there, um, was in the private sector for six years doing consulting. And then in 2019 came into, um, into the, the city of Banning. So I, I guess I grew to like it. Um, <laughs> yeah. There was, I wasn't, and I'm still never the most technically proficient person, but there was an element of kind of that diplomacy and that, you know, political background and, and study that I had in trying to interact with the development community and, you know, 
talk to developers wearing $3,000 suits and you had these kids from Cal Poly and UCLA that were more technically proficient than I was, but couldn't communicate, you know, couldn't tell a developer to lose a few lots or that the project was going to be continued. So I think kind of served as, as that link between the technical and then the, the electeds and, and the commissioners in Riverside County were pretty important. I mean, they, you know, had a very high level of prestige. Um, so, you know, I was mm-hmm. kind of that bridge between the technical and the political aspect of, of planning, which obviously is very political as I learned. It is, it, it is. And I have to, I'm, dying to ask this question. How does your existential philosophy degree play into your role as the city of Banning community development director? I feel like it it had to have just stuck with you and you had to have applied some part of it. I can come up with very creative variance findings and that may not sound interesting to anybody, but I've gotten my hand slapped a few times by both county council and city attorneys of coming up with some fairly high in the sky findings for variances. I mean, <laughs> I could make anything work in any, any situation. Um, and so I think that was, you know, probably the best example where, you know, if we're, if we're writing findings for denial or we're, we're trying to justify something that maybe isn't, you know, that it's, it's a gray area. Uh, for example, the city banning has always wanted to have a drag strip. We've had drag strips out here for years illegally. There's a big push to do a permanent one. It's a great idea. You know, politics get in the way. One of the council members actually is a uh, amateur racer. And so that has a aspect of complexity to it. So, in talking with our city attorney, he's like, well, I don't see drag strips in the zoning code. I'm like, well, no, but we have amusement parks and we have a provision that the director can find things that are substantially similar. So there you go. Disneyland drag strip. And so they kind of give me this like, you know, yeah, I, would it hold up in court? Probably not. Does it, you know, pass the smell test at least in the short term? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. That one I didn't succeed in. I, I got knocked down on that one, but um, others I've had I've had success on. I like I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. And now you know you're you're a community development director, so a lot of things come to your desk that you get to be the final say on. That don't have to go to the planning commission. That don't have to go to the board of supervisors. They stop at your desk. So given that you get that level of discretion, what are some of the fun or creative things that you've approved that you're, you, you like really exercised your directorial powers. Yeah, there's been a few, uh, the the city of Banning has had a really good time saying no for a long time and no on things that, you know, I mean, no one's going to get hurt. We're not breaking the law. Um, there's been a, a few scenarios where, We've had existing operators that have had a slew of code enforcement actions against them. They would come into the city and my predecessors would say, well, it's going to take 15 months and you have to do a zone change and a land use change and, and blah, 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 blah. And 
I was able to fix in like a half an hour. It's like, well, we pulled the building records. You've been there since the 40s. So let's just call it non-conforming. You're operating, uh, you're operating a, a well-run business. I mean, these aren't you know, illegal tire shops. One guy makes gas meters, and he makes like thousands a month. Why is that something we really need you know, to stop? His buildings are up to code. Um, so we called it non-conforming, and we're fixing it in a cleanup general plan update. And, you know, it really is not that big a deal. So I've tried to cut through the ridiculous bureaucracy um, that has sometimes been applied here and, and I know elsewhere. But, uh, you know, we had another situation where a longtime business owner, uh, the guy makes tortilla making machines. You know, some of the things that you never... Yeah, you never would know. Like, I know more about cannabis now than I ever thought yeah. I would. Because we have a <laughs> cannabis program. So the uh, the tortilla chips for Doritos and Mi Tortilla and restaurants in L.A., he makes the machines that makes the tortillas into, like, you know, 15 different types of, of tortilla chips. He employs local, citizens, uh, local residents. He helps people with the down payments for their houses if they work for him for, like, five years. I mean... He's, he's an old curmudgeon guy, but he's a really you know, decent corporate citizen. And he was stuck in the process because he wanted to put an awning between two buildings for his employees to have like an outdoor area. And this was all pre-COVID. And so one of the things that I have the ability in this city, which is it's pretty strict, I don't have a lot of leeway, is um, a director's exception, which I've never seen before. But it has certain things that I can accept um, e, you know, e, e sept, not a, except or whatever it is. But, um, we just, you know, we fixed it. It was like a 2,500 square foot awning on poles and it was over and done with in a week. So those are some of the low hanging fruits where mm-hmm. it provides a lot of goodwill and you can fix some things that we should never be making someone go through a, a zoning ordinance change or, you know, doing a lot merger because they want to put up an awning. I mean, it just, some things are kind of ridiculous. Well, I'm a developer and I just want to say thank you for your service because oftentimes, uh, well, I get it because I'm, I'm a land use and environmental planner. So like, I get it, but trying to explain it to you, um, you know, people who aren't in the industry who don't understand it. And I'm like, it's the municipal code. It's the zoning and you need a variance to, to have something this tall in this zoning, even though the zoning says you can do this particular thing. You also can't do these things by right because it's a different use. And like having these conversations and they're just like, why are we working? Mm-hmm. Why why are we building in California? Like I, I quit. <laughs> you know, like, like I'm just going to go somewhere else because this is very convoluted and and challenging um i also have been on the public agency side where i've received plans and had to review them and be the you know the plan checker and check those boxes so so i i get it what um what sort of how did you working in the private sector as a consultant for six years how did that help or hinder your leadership role in the public sector it was definitely a positive and it was kind of one of those things that I knew I had to do. I wasn't 
ever super jazzed about it. I think my personality is much more set for the public sector because um, not to sound gushy, but I like the ability to help people with their problems that aren't a huge deal. And a lot of times in the public sector, we make mountains out of molehills. Um, but in my ultimate kind of career path, you know, I eventually would like to become a city manager somewhere, not here, but you know, somewhere in California or elsewhere. And I know I definitely needed that private sector experience. Um, again, it was, I, I guess I have a knack for jumping from the fire into the frying pan, but the organization I went to work for had a part-time 20, 22 hour a week planner from a staff of about 10 and they had a uh, annual gross revenue of about $165,000 for the planning budget. I mean, that was it. And my job was to, you know, rehabilitate that as we're coming out of the, the great recession economic downturn and prepare for the next cycle. So was there for six years, you know, grew the department, added about eight employees kind of branched out into doing more environmental planning versus, because all they did previously for 20 years was specific plants. They did really good specific plants, but that's all they did. And it's kind of like, let's, you know, diversify here a little bit, hired a biologist, hired a, hired a air quality consultant and whatnot. And it definitely helped because I was able to, one, understand how a consultant was treated. Not that I didn't have any clue, but, you know, just to understand both sides of the proverbial table and also understand how much things cost. And I think that's been the greatest advantage coming out of the private sector in when someone is asking, you know, uh, a person that owns a restaurant to have engineered plans prepared for their patio cover uh, or to hire a architect, you know, to do an add on to their house how much those things actually cost, you know, how much a, a simple subdivision cost. And where I was, we were usually below market rate because we were a little bit smaller and it was a certified small business. But to do a subdivision could be $50,000 easy just of all the fixed costs. So understanding that and trying to apply that to the public sector in not making things insurmountable and not making the process overwhelming for individuals who are not adept or, or sophisticated at it. And I've never had huge issues with developers. Uh, the, the most problematic cases I've ever had have been kind of those mom and pop type situations or those code enforcement situations where they've been operating the same way for 30 years and they just, you know, got popped with a, a code citation. Um, or, you know, things like that. So mm -hmm. it's, it's been very helpful in understanding the entire process because I think there's, in most scenarios, multiple ways to get the job done. And you may not need to hire an architect. Maybe you just need to have, you know, your neighbor's high school kid who is taking a CAD class just to draw something up for you real quick so it doesn't look like it's on a napkin. And, and work thing work through things on that, especially on code enforcement cases, which we do have our, our fair share of. Um, I'd rather folks, at least in the interim, operate legally and safely rather than 
you know, we had one guy who was, uh, had it powering his computers off of a Home Depot generator outside a shed. And it's like, well, you know, we could do some very simple things to get you electricity so we don't have someone die from carbon monoxide fumes, you know. <laughs> very practical. Kind of no argument. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank, thank you for sharing that because um, I think that the empathy that you have um, is is a huge value add coming into the in the public sector when you're reviewing uh, private development projects for consistency with these publicly approved plans. There's oftentimes a lot of education involved, as there should be. There's a lot of boxes to check. And as you mentioned, it's not always equitable across the board. I mean, yes, I've been in a position where having to come up with like engineered tie-down plans for a trailer, for example, and just simply my client just simply can't afford it to, to do the engineered tie-down plan because it's like a full engineering thing. So I just wanted to say thank you for being open and creative and, and working with um, developers and sharing with our listeners who are students who are probably thinking about <laughs> when I'm in, in undergrad or I'm in community college or I'm in high school, do I want to go into the public, public sector or the private sector? And um, maybe you can do all of the above in a windy, windy path. Um, mm -hmm. And then the next question I had for you, because uh, for our listeners who can't, who can't see you, who aren't watching this on YouTube, you have the city of Banning's logo. It's incorporated in 1913. Love that fun fact. But your, your tagline is endless opportunity. Walk us through where that came from and what that means to you. Sure. So the, the logo you see is actually fairly new. It's, it's less than a year old. Uh, we used to have a stagecoach and it really is, I think, a, a paradigm shift from what the city has been for almost its entirety um, to what it is now. And there for a long time had been a romanticizing of the past, of our historical past, of Stagecoach Town and, and how it harkens back to Pony Express, or I probably got the history wrong. It was something related to, you know, the, the wild, wild west. And then there was the uh, the movie stars came out here and then went to the the Natural Springs and Desert Hot Springs and Palm Springs and, and had their movie premieres at the Fox Theater, which is right on the other side of the street from my office. And that's all great, but that is not what attracts home builders. That is not what attracts real estate, commercial developers. Um, saying that you're lonely for the stagecoach days doesn't get you a grocery store or a restaurant that doesn't have a drive-thru in it. Um, the, the city had basically neglected itself for about two decades. Um, there's a lot of infighting. There's a lot of kind of old boys network type of politics. And the development community basically stopped at the city line, literally, because we have a tremendous amount of new economic development in the city of Beaumont. There's a Walmart, there's a Home Depot, there's, you know, a couple million square feet of, of retail commercial in the city that is less than 10 years old. And, and no one literally went across the street because of all of that infighting. I mean, if you are seeing reports of grand jury uh, 
findings in the paper? Why would you come and develop in, in the city that, you know, is, is like a briar patch? So I think it's partly undoing all of that. We've, we've been doing a very good job of reestablishing our reputation, um, but it's really looking forward. And when I describe to people where I work, because they always say Beaumont, I'm like, well, no, it's Banning, it's right next door. It's the one close to Morongo. You know, I can see the casino from my office. It's it's kind of like Springfield and The Simpsons, and I don't know, and I'm an older person, so I don't know how many people watch The Simpsons anymore, but like Springfield has the nuclear power plant, they have the acid pits, they have the, the Badlands, they have like everything, and that's kind of like banning because we have six freeway exits, we have an airport that no one uses, but we have an airport, we have a forest, we have a mountain trail up to Idlewild. Um, we have a flume, a 105-year-old hydroelectric flume that up until the recent fire still worked and still produced water. So we have all these weird kind of idiosyncrasies. We have our own police department for a city of just now about 40,000 um, that is uh, oh, almost a hundred years old, no, over a hundred years old. We have our own electric utility that is about 80 years old. So we have all these legacy things and being a full service city, you can do a lot with that. Um, you can, you know, you're not subject to Edison and, and their rates. You can do certain deals. We're a public utility versus, you know, Edison really isn't public. Um, we can, do agreements. We can have, we have economic subsidies. So a lot of tools that we have, and we're really doing a full court press on those with an update to our land use and just better customer service to accommodate the development. We now have the opportunity to pick and choose and be picky. And that's what I like about planning is you don't have to take, you know, whatever beaten up old project gets dragged to the door. You can say no, or, you know, hey, I'm, you know, I just tell folks, I'll just take it for denial. It's not what we want. Is it allowed in the zone? Sure. You can file. I'll schedule you for a hearing. We'll get you, you know, in and out in a month. You don't spend any money. You know, that's what you, don't, that's what you want to do? Okay. I'll take you through the due process. But I don't have any qualms of, you know, telling a, a truck yard or um, a pallet yard. We have, I get about three calls a week for pallet yards. Um you know, that I just all taken for denial and that's not what we're looking for. You know, we have enough of that and we're looking for good development. So mm. it's really the opportunity to kind of reestablish ourselves uh, in the past area and then have the ability to pick and choose the type of development we want for the next 20 years. Is the majority of your open developable areas, is it infill? Would it qualify as infill? Or like, do you do much CEQA planning or SQL review for, for projects, or is it mostly exempt? What, what kind of stuff um, through? It's, it's a mixed bag. I was actually yesterday looking for the last initial study that we did, and I had to go back to 2019 no. to find one because the majority of our smaller projects are exempt. Um, but yeah, and, but then we have several large projects that we're doing EIRs on. So we really don't have a lot of middle ground. Um, and, you know, and that's kind of been one of the advantages of the city for a while, but we have 
a lot of vacant buildings that are being redeveloped and reutilized, and so we can exempt those. We have a lot of small parcels that are being developed, and we can exempt those. And then on the other end, I have about 9 million square feet of mixed-use industrial on the books that we're doing EIRs for. So it's a lot of little things, a few big things. There's really, I mean, we don't have any track maps that are active that are under 500 lots. Um, it's either like, you know, I don't want any track maps, like sub, whole, whole subdivisions. We got one that's like 4,400 units. We got one that's like 3,800 units. And then the next one down is like 100 units. Mm. So um, and it, 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 go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, I was just saying, like, it's fascinating all the economic development opportunities that are there and how a lot of it can be streamlined through the environmental review process. What, as community development director, as part of the community planning process too, do you guys, does the city have a climate action plan or a sustainability plan or or anything that talks about um, the sustainability of the city's development moving forward? Or have you not gotten there yet? Because the main focus is like, we've got all this infill opportunity. Like, let's focus on that first, build up the city, and then we'll talk about the bigger climate change related things. Yeah, it's more on that line of thinking. The city historically has had kind of a blue collar approach to planning. And and what I mean by that is for the most part, the residents don't really care that much about, you know, sustainability or climate action. Those to a certain extent are four letter words uh, amongst, you know, the, the business community. Um, but the main issue that we're all dealing with here at the city is we don't have anything relatively new because there was never any reason to do anything. And when I got here, you know, I, I was told our general plan was adopted in 2006. We haven't updated the zoning code since then. We have a manual process for all of our application intake I and mean, Excel spreadsheets and big file folders with, you know, paper, I was like, you know, deer in the headlights. I'm like, oh my God. But we issued six building permits in 2019. So why would we have any reason to put in any new processes or develop any new software or develop plans that are current and consistent when you don't have anything to develop? I mean, I don't know what they did here. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when Mm -hmm. you're only processing six building permits in 2020, we issued 479. So <laughs> I don't know what that percentage is, but we had 473, a 473 permit increase year over year. That well, and 2018 was like eight permits, and half of those were HUD financed Habitat for Humanity houses. Yeah. So you know they weren't like regular uh, construction. Uh, but we're working on all that. We're we're working with WRCOG to roll into their com- climate action plan. Uh, we are doing an environmental justice element as part of our general plan update. Um, we just adopted our housing element on the 9th, I think, somewhere about a week ago. Um, we got criticized for not having enough public outreach, but we did six meetings and no one showed up. And it's like, well, I can't make people <laughs> yeah. come to a meeting. Um, 
so, you know, but and we're actually are getting a lot of interest in actual affordable housing. So that, that's, that's positive. So yeah. it's, it's slowly moving there. Uh, our, our council is, you know, diametrically different than previous councils and is focusing on real things like land use and parks and roadway improvements. I mean, we have so much construction going on now. It's, it's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, we can get a lot of grant money cause we are a disadvantaged community. Our median household income last year was 36 or 38,000. It just went over 40,000. Wow. Well, I, I just wanted to take a second to reflect on the fact that you went from a home, from home Depot overnight job changed at the County didn't really know about planning and now you're <laughs> leading a, a disadvantaged city into the 21st century with an environmental justice element, you know, that's required obviously, but housing elements, affordable housing and a more practical approach to building up a community. I mean, let, let's just take a second and just reflect on that. I think that that's fascinating. Existential philosophy <laughs> Home Depot, no degree in planning to lead it to being, you know, the planning, the community development director at a city in California. It's a big deal. Good job. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a journey. Um, the only reason I started taking philosophy classes is because I flunked out of pre-med. So, you know, I guess there's a reason for everything and I'm not a doctor. I was going to so. say, well, with existential philosophy, is there a reason for everything or is this just nothing at all? It's your contemplation of the reason if you know what the reason is. Contemplate, wow. Plus, my, our professor let us drink wine in class, too, so that was always... <laughs> That's the added benefit. Great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I think I uh, flunked out of philosophy class. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I wasn't good at, I got an A or B in everything except logic. And that was my best come to find out I've been like dyslexic my whole life, but never knew it. And so, you know, the A's and the B's and the triangles and the squares, like my brain just didn't process it. But, um, yeah, I had some pretty, you'll, you'll run into some very eccentric professors. I had one who was addicted to Diet Pepsi. who drank two to three liters of Diet Pepsi a day. Um, so funny, class. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. It was, I, I went to a very small, very eccentric type of school. So, I, I, I mean, I would say that you are the first AEP podcast interviewee that has a philosophy degree. <laughs> you probably won't find many others. I don't know. That's yeah, like, like possibly the last as well. <laughs> yeah. Possibly the last as well. Um, so where, where do you see the future of your career? Do you want to sit in this role for a long time? Do you want to be a planning commissioner or a board, or board a supervisor? Do you want to run for elected position? You had talked about going to Washington, D.C. and kind of doing the policy and lobbying thing, but that didn't pan out. Like, what, what do you feel like is the next thing? I, when I took this position, and this has definitely been the most challenging job I've had in my career, just with all the things that we've had to deal with. Uh, I knew going in, it's going to take at least five years 
to get this all cleaned up and kind of, you know, create a, a solid foundation. And when it's time to leave, I'll know. Um, I didn't plan to stay in the private sector for six years, but it got to a point where, you know, our revenues were in excess of a million and a half a year. I had staff at staff in three different offices and there just wasn't like really any challenge because with being a, a certified small business, you, you have to keep your revenues under a certain cap. You can't hire that many employees. Um, you know, I couldn't go out and start, you know, my, my own office. I didn't have the, the guts to do that. So there really wasn't a challenge and it's definitely still challenging here. And I mean, I'm probably not even halfway through where I would have liked to have been obviously because of, of COVID and, and funding constraints. Um, so, I mean, at least five years, that's, you know, two and a half, three years from now, if it takes longer, it takes longer. Um, I would like to transition out of community development into administration. I think my skill set is most appropriate for the small municipality. Um, I'm not interested in an elected office. You know, I really want to keep on and kind of the public side, but I couldn't stand the, I guess the, the fakery or the numbness of a large city. Uh, you know, this is, it's too, just too idio, idiosyncratic for me. And I, I really like just working on core issues, like things that really matter. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm not denouncing sustainability plans or things of that nature, but let's just put things in place that actually can create jobs, can get people literally out of poverty, can put a grocery store. We do not have anywhere you can buy a fresh fruit or a fresh vegetable on the east side of the city, anywhere. We have more liquor stores than we have grocery stores. So we have some real world substantive issues. Um, that'll take a couple years. I don't expect to be here you know, for the rest of my career. Um, where I end up after that, I, I don't know. But you know, I'm focused on fixing the problems that are laid out in front of me and, and trying to just leave it better you know, for the next person. Yes, sir. Leave it better for the next person doing all the practical things that actually move the needle for your community. Thank you for sharing your your perspective and your story. I think that this is a really great time to do the wrap up rapid five, Jessa, unless you have an outstanding question. Nope. Just um, some average questions, nothing outstanding. So. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, let, I think it's a great, great uh, note to wrap up on. Thank you so much, Adam. So, mm-hmm. all right, get into the wrap up rapid five. Okay, what is your favorite daily habit? Uh, working out. Good for you. Okay, three things you'd bring to a deserted island. Um, I would say, gosh. My dad's copy of the Plato's Republic, um, a iPhone or a podcasting thing with all my favorite audiobooks and podcasts, and um, football. Great. <laughs> what is your favorite environmental policy? 
Mm, environmental policy. Um, VMT, because we all have to love VMT or learn to love VMT. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Wait, I think, that, I think that's what Mindy said. Mindy said the same one. Vehicle miles traveled. I just want to say that Mindy Fogg at County of Ventura had the same environmental policy preference that you did. Well, the 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 little pictograph that they put together to explain it reminds me of like an old Sesame Street episode. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, favorite fauna or flora? Oh, um... Only because my dad was a landscaper, I'd have to say the ficus benjamina, which has a little twisty things, but I would always have to put the plastic bags over them in the winter so they wouldn't freeze. Ah, fun fact. And they're okay. really expensive, I come to find out. That's why. To look those up. And okay, finish this thought. Wouldn't it be cool if? Wouldn't it be cool if? We all got election day off work. And isn't that practical? And that's doable, that isn't it? Cool. <laughs> Every, most of uh, countries except the United States do it. It's a national holiday. Yes. Thank you for sharing, Adam. This is, I, it's been great visiting your world. You're welcome. I'm, I've had a great time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I loved your stories. I was like just kind of engrossed and just listening. I'm like, oh yeah, maybe I should ask some questions. But uh, no, I loved it. I, very interesting. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. Adam Rush, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. As a new podcast, it really helps us if you share with friends and colleagues that may enjoy this podcast as well. And please subscribe or follow the podcast to be alerted for new episodes. Also, if you want to submit a shout out, please send a voice memo under a minute, uh, ideally to podcast with an S at C-A-L-I-F-A-E-P.org. Again, that's podcast at C-A-L-I-F-A-E-P.org or any feedback that you'd like to share. We love feedback. Thank you.